I just want to note that I'm going to uh, use a couple of readings, well, very short ones, but just for the sake of if you want to get it, uh, John 1, 1, just that, I'm sure everyone knows it. John 1, 14 then is connected with that. And then 1 Corinthians at 1, uh, 4, and a little later 1 Corinthians 1, 18, that's it, they're just fairly short that way. The whole point is that I want to magnify the word of God. It, that's what struck me there a while back. The word of God, it's something that we speak of and talk about maybe just by the way. But I want to magnify it. And it's clear why I want to read John 1. Because there are two things. There's a wonderful word of God. But then there's, I also notice the awful emptiness and sadness in the life of an unbeliever who might laugh at such a thing as John 1, 1. Well, we all know it, I'm sure. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word is with God, and the Word was God. And then a little later, and the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And that latter line, that brings us in. He who dwelt among us ascended to the heavens and gave us his life. And all his word is given by inspiration of God, breathed out of God to us. That's, if you like, the basic of the word, the word. It's everything. It's everything. It's all we have. The word and prayer. So um, I want to then just open these verses that I mentioned, 1 Corinthians 1, to begin with. And... Uh, Christ in us. I and uh, my overall purpose is to magnify Christ in us and to show the emptiness and the sadness of the life of an unbeliever is terrible. They don't realize it. They think we're stupid. We probably are, but we're not stupid in that sense. Well, anyway, 1 Corinthians 1, I'm just going to take verse uh, 14 there. I'm reading this for a particular reason. I'm thank, I thank my God, this is Paul writing, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God, which is given you by Jesus Christ. For in everything ye are enriched, that's us, enriched by him, Christ, in all utterance and in all knowledge. And when I look into it, I find that that word utterance is just another translation of words. I'd, I'd rather stick with that point of words, words and knowledge in the words of God and the knowledge of God. And it's what struck me about this, and it would strike anyone, I'm sure, that such spiritual riches, rich by word and, and rich by knowledge, they're astounding. For us, just what, what the Lord has, offers us, the word of God and the knowledge of God. It fills our souls and spirits with truth and th that flows through our hearts. It's, it's a real event in our lives. Then, of course, you probably realize that 1 Corinthians or Corinthians generally, there was a contention there. There was a contention that had risen among some of the, the saints in Corinth. And these spiritual riches of the... Of, of the but the, the, this is the point, like that the... The rich, this, these, these riches of the Corinthians, they remain despite the contentions and the things that Paul has given out about, which I'm not going to talk about. Yet, this, it stood. The, he, he told them that God had given them this wonderful grace in their lives. 
Besides that, then, unsaved people, they have no inkling that there's such a reality in the word of God. And they totally reject its reality in their minds and lives. In fact, unsaved people, they'd be laughing at us, I'm sure, at the thing like this. But no, no, it's, it's, it's such a terrible, sad thing because the word of God itself is absolutely true and spiritually tangible. That's what I want to get to as well. We have many examples, of course, of the word of God, and I'm just choosing another one in verse 18 because it, it includes the saint and the unbeliever. And it goes simply that the word of the cross, this is a, a, a 1.18, 1 Corinthians again, for the word of the cross, or the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, it's foolish. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. It's the power of God. Now, I would be questioning myself initially that, well, what is the word of the cross? What is it? What does it say, the word of the cross? Because it turns out to be the most important statement, the word of the cross. Well, the word of the cross, well, any word of God, it's not, it's not just thoughts or feelings or acts, but a current of flowing effective power in our souls. I wasn't sure initially about the content of the word of the cross, what exactly was, was in it. And I, I just prayed a little bit on it. And it just, it seemed to come to me very simply, very, very simply. It's simply this. It is finished. The word of the cross is, it is finished. Just, you can continue the example in, in, in John, John's Gospel, John 19. Jesus, knowing that all was now finished as he was on that cross, and he said, to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. Mark's gospel, 1537, then he reads, Jesus cried with a loud voice and breathed his last. So put the two together. Jesus cried with a loud cry. And what is it? It is finished. And in that one statement of the word of the cross, it contains life, death, burial, and rising of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so for this reason, for this reason, we should always remember this word as expressed in the breaking of bread service. This is a work on the cross. And the, the bread the, the breaking of bread service, that, is, that becomes so extraordinarily important. Because, again, just to quickly go through it, 1 Corinthians 11, the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. Now, this remembrance is not just nostalgia, as obviously we know that, for someone that's gone, but rather the remembrance of all that Christ has done and continues to do. The flesh of his body was torn apart and his blood poured out, and now Jesus, is, Jesus himself is the bread of our life. And his shed blood washes our sins away. We died with him. We were buried with him. We were raised with him. 
Such is what pours out from the word of the cross. And this is why the breaking of bread service is very vital, in my understanding anyway. We must remember Calvary. For the word of the cross is folly, that's what it says, and to those who are perishing. But, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. The verse says the word of the cross is the power that is saving us. And note that we are continually being saved. We are being saved constantly by the power of the word of the cross. But when an unbeliever might say, how can the words be powerful? How can they make anything? Ah, this again is where the sadness, emptiness of it all. From the day the Holy Spirit breathed a new life into us, we were born again. Just I'd compare it to a pregnant woman. In the early days of pregnancy, they can detect the new life in her, in her she can, before anyone else can. And we too, we know that we have a new life, even before anyone would know. The words of God come into our souls and we have totally changed. We've totally changed. We're not what we were. We know the reality of a new life in our souls and spirits because the living word of God flows through us, through our spirit. And this living word, it's not imaginary. It's absolutely tangible in ourselves. Spurgeon writes, faith is the eye of the soul. I think it's a very nice point, very nice way of putting it. It is the act of looking unto Jesus, a mental vision that comes from eyes anointed with the eye salve of the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus presents the most astounding possibility of close, closeness to him, close, to, be, to be close to him. Yes, in a real way. He speaks to the, the Odysseans, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. How more can you get with closeness and reality? Okay, his voice and the door and the meal, they're spiritual. But... When we hunger and thirst spiritually, we can know real close presence and joy with Christ like nothing else in the universe. When we go to prayer, there are two possible types of praying we, might, we can describe by comparing, if you like, by everyday conversation. Talking with a stranger can often be artificial. Uh, we don't have knowledge of who, what the person is or who they are or... You know, and it's often just politeness. But we all agree that conversations with our friends or a relative, they're, they're usually genuine and warm. The word of God. It's not just helpful. Our words are reading. The word is dry until the Holy Spirit mingles with it. The question then is, how do we converse with our Heavenly Father? Is it quick prayers and out? Or is it waiting on the Lord for his leading and blessing? Obviously, the latter. And I'll just give an example. It's a wonderful one. I love it. What do we do? Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord Rejoice. 
And here's an important one. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. And Philippians, one line, two lines, that I may know him. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. I press on, Paul says, towards the goal for the prize of the high call of God in Christ Jesus. Amen.